0: Hi, I'm Mike Dilk and you're listening to The Relax Back UK Show. A show that explores all kinds of health topics relevant to you, your family and your friends. Each week I talk to expert guests from a range of backgrounds to inform and entertain you. So please do join The Relax Back UK Family and stay tuned. Hi and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on The Relax Back UK Show this week. This week's show is all about pain many, many people are in constant pain. And Dr. Andrea Fuller is a pain expert. She's helped people who have been suffering with pain for years.
1: I am on a mission to teach doctors and nurses and physiotherapists and whoever is a healthcare professional about nociplastic pain because they don't know. They want to help the patients so they, because they don't know what is nociplastic pain and how to fix the pain system, they keep trying the other things that are useful for nociceptive and neuropathic pain.
0: She talks about different sorts of pain and how opioids are not always helpful, can actually make pain worse and also cause side effects and dependency. She also talks about methods of how people can come off opioids if they are dependent on them. All kinds of really interesting stuff, all to do with pain. So please do hang around for a great show. Thank you. This show- Dr. Andrea Furlan really was a, a, a great guest. And this was actually the second time that she's been on the show. So the first thing I did was thank her for coming back to the Relaxed Back UK show. Oh, thank you for inviting me again. And uh, we had a great chat last time. And uh, I, I kind of uh, came up with uh, a name for, name for you, the pain alarm doctor, which I uh, yeah. remember you uh, approving of. So maybe, maybe, maybe a good way to start would just be outlining why you think that's kind of an appropriate, um, unofficial title for you. (laughs) The
1: pain alarm doctor, yeah. (laughs) Um, I think that's appropriate because um, the pain is the alarm system of our body. And I am the specialist in the pain system of our body. And uh, why this is important is because um, if we have an, an alarm system installed in our body, a person may have pain From let's say, simply simplifying this, uh, there might be three types of th- situations that the alarm system might make noise and um, and in our body, we call this the three types of pain that the person may feel pain. So the first one is, if you have a a house and there is a fire. So the fire, a smoke, it will, the, the smoke detectors will set the alarm off. So that's what we call the normal pain, the acute pain, nociceptive pain. This that is, is, like is stub- if a person.
0: Stubbing your toe pain, yeah. that sort of thing. You're yes. hammering and you hit your thumb. Ow, yeah, hurt. you hit
1: your thumb, you have a burn or a, a fracture. So you do need to stop and, and fix that part that is injured, damage, or disease. So that's not susceptive pain. The second type of pain is called neuropathic. And in the alarm system of the house would be like a short circuit in the house or some wires that are damaged. And then you have an alarm and you, you have to go and fix that thing. You need to fix that short circuit, otherwise the noise will not go away. But there is something that you can fix. In our body, this could be like a carpal tunnel syndrome that the, there is a nerve that travels here in our wrist. And it, when a person do a lot of movements of the wrist, you can damage the median nerve. And uh, if the nerve is compressed at the wrist, it causes carpal tunnel syndrome, which is a very specific type of uh, pain that's called neuropathic pain. Right. Now, the third type of pain is called nociplastic And that's when the pain system is malfunctioning so there is no problem there is no smoke there is no wire that is broken or injured but you the alarm is deregulated the alarm is malfunctioning so in this situation you have to call the alarm company to come and fix the alarm system instead of calling the fire truck ambulance or police because there's nothing for them to fix so i am the specialist of the the alarm, I'm the equivalent of the alarm company, come and fix the pain system.
0: All right, now that, that, that explains it um, perfectly. But I th- and also, I remember you saying in this instance, the pain for the patient is absolutely real. It is a, yeah. a real thing and it's causing a real problem. So it needs to be fixed.
1: Right. Of course, yeah. So the other analogy that I use, uh, Mike, is the computer hardware and software so if your computer stops working <laughs> um it could be a hardware problem because you dropped the laptop on the floor and it broke the motherboard right so you need to change it you need or you, the wires are you know crooked and you need to change so or the computer can be not working everything is perfect there's nothing there to fix but it's a software problem so you need to reinstall the software. So it doesn't mean that your computer is imagining the computer, if it's a software problem, the computer is still not working. So if a person has nociplastic pain, it doesn't mean that they are imagining this pain is not real. It is it's something and I would say nociplastic pain. I would say it's worse than nociceptive neuropathic, because um, it's constant, right? It's all the time. And it's very loud. The intensity, the volume, is very loud.
0: Okay. All right. No, that uh, that's uh, that that's good. That it puts things in perspective nicely. When we were talking last time, we spoke about different ways of dealing with pain. Um, but today, I want to talk about one um, pain medication in particular, or one sort of um, brand group. I think probably is the best, is the right term, and that's opioids. Mm-hmm. Um, now, opioids are, are used to, to treat pain, but ge- generally the, the, the kind of stubbing your toe type pain, the short-lived pain. But maybe, uh, first question, it is a group of drugs, but what, what, what are they? And, and, and if, if it's possible to explain it simply, how do they work?
1: Yeah. Um, so opioids are substances that um, we actually produce them in our brain. So we do have an inner pharmacy in our brain. It's actually in the brainstem. The stem is the, the part that holds the brain. And in the brain stem, we have a, a pharmacy that releases opioids. Uh, they are called endorphins, enkephalins, dynorphins. There are many types. So if our brain produces them, then we need receptors for these opioids in our body. So the receptors are called mu receptors, kappa receptors, delta receptors, and they are distributed mainly in the nerve system to act. And um, so imagine, so the substances are produced in the brainstem, they're released, and then they go and they act on those receptors. And we have some receptors also in the periphery In our nerves uh, across our body but mainly they are in the nerve system so what happens is uh, so the opioids are released there this pharmacy is controlled by the brain above so the brain above the brain stem controls when and how to release and what is the dose that you need of opioids and uh, once they are released in situations of stress and pain so if a person is under stress, under danger, and the, the brain above detects danger, and something is harming your body, you need a flush of opioids, so that will release those opioids. Now, there is a plant, uh, we have a plant called poppy plant, that produces a beautiful red flower that produces. you, you can find in this plant, morphine and codeine. So morphine comes from that plant. And so they thousands of years ago, they people discovered that um, eating that substance in the poppy plant produced um, sedation. So the person would sleep and would help with pain. So they used this in war, they used this when they needed to do, you know, in the in the thousands of years ago, anesthesia did not exist and they still did procedures people got injured they got you know burns and they got problems so they 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 had supplies of morphine and coating that they could help these people the but the problem is if you start giving this exogenous so exogenous means coming from outside compared to the endogenous. So the endogenous opioids are substances that we produce. Exogenous are substances that we ingest or, you know, there are many ways that you can put uh, exogenous opioids in your body by mouth, in the nostrils, by breathing them, in the veins, intravenous, in the skin, topicals, uh, rectum, by like suppositories, um, injections, etc. So when you put exogenous opioids in your body, you're basically putting a uh, filling all those receptors in your body, like the mu receptors, kappa, delta receptors. And if you put it once, if you ingest opioids once, not a lot of things will happen. But if you keep putting in exogenous opioids to your body, a lot of changes happen. To your body one of them is you produce you, you start opening more receptors okay so let's say that you were born with a thousand receptors mu receptors let's just pretend here that you were born and you have a thousand receptors if now i start giving you exogenous opioids like from the poppy plant morphine and coding, your body says ah okay we're getting this so let's now so in a few days you have 2000 receptors in a few weeks you have millions of receptors
0: so this process is-, is pretty fast actually
1: yes yes so that's okay. the basis of um, tolerance yeah. when we talk about tolerance to opioids we talk we explain this to patients because we say you know what now you need a higher dose to get the same effect because in the beginning i gave you a small dose you only had you know let's say a thousand receptors in your body i'm, I'm just making up those numbers okay mm-hmm. and and now you have because you have millions of times more receptors in your body you need a much higher dose <laughs> compared to the beginning to have the same effect that's tolerance
0: okay so that's that's and the really other why thing would be
1: dependence. Yeah, yeah yeah so that's really
0: dependence... why opioids can work for short acute pain because, you know, it just goes on for a little while until the body heals, and then we can move on, job done. Yeah. But yeah, if you have chronic pain, pain that keeps on going, um, if you take okay, opioids... That's a, that's a different actually,
1: thing, yes. So there are many it, different...
0: Yeah, it could hurt more.
1: So there are many different problems, um, many different situations, and it's complex when we talk about opioids for chronic pain, Okay. First of all, remember the three types of pain that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So, if a person a person may have may like a person may have chronic pain that is n- only nociceptive, not nociplastic, not neuropathic. If they have nociceptive pain that is ongoing, and I have many examples like this. Um, then for each time that they have a flare of that pain, they could take opioids for the rest of their life. Uh, And and the problem is between the flares, they should stop taking the opioids. So they don't develop that tolerance. Example of this, I have many patients who have uh, diseases that cause ongoing nociceptive pain. An example, for example, is sickle cell disease i don't know if you heard about sickle cell disease uh, it's yes, blo- i think i
0: have that's a blood disease
1: it's a blood disease and uh, the red blood cells they are uh, abnormal their, their shape is uh, like a, a curved shape so what happens is instead of being round and like a you know very round and easy to flow in our blood people who have sickle cell disease, their red blood cells are like a C shape. And so they, they block the the arteries and they usually block the arteries around a joint. So the knees, the hips, the elbows. So when a person has a crisis of sickle cell disease, they have a, a massive inflammation around a joint. Like an could be the ankle, the ankle swells and it's red, and it's extremely painful, extremely painful. So, but that's not susceptive pain. That's okay. painly not susceptible. That's only not pain. And in those situations, giving opioids will give them quality of life. They, you know, they they can feel less pain instead of being in agony for days until they until the blood can flow again right because they need a lot of fluids fluids to wash those clots and um, and the blood flow again the thing is a, a crisis of sickle cell lasts, you know days two weeks and then And then it resolves and then hopefully they will have another crisis, maybe six months later or a year later. The problem is during that crisis period, people put them on a lot of opioids. But after the crisis, they don't reduce the opioid. So I have patients who have sickle cell disease that every time that they had a crisis, people just increase the opioid, increase the opioid, increase the opioid. And now they come to me and they are on gigantic doses of opioids. Gigantic. That's terrible because now when they have the next crisis, what are we going to do? <laughs> I have we no to, to go. go.
0: Yeah,
1: I don't. I don't where to go. So that's an example of the problem of opioid. Now, if a person has only nociceptive pain, which is that problem of the alarm, like the software problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. So think about this: the opioid is good if there is a hardware problem in your laptop. Okay now if the, your laptop is not working because it is a software problem and you if you give opioids to that <laughs> laptop or to that body you're only going to make it worse because think about this your software is your computer is not working because there is a software problem you need to reinstall let's say the antivirus let's let's say that this is the problem Let's say that instead of fixing the antivirus problem, you give more software problems to your computer. You're going to make your computer slower. You're going to make your computer more tired. That's what happens. If a person has nociplastic pain, you give them opioids, you're giving them all the side effects. They will be tired with sleepiness because it's sedating. They're going to be constipated. They're going to be or concentration and you're not treating the problem. It's not a hardware problem. It is a software problem. So instead of fixing the trying to find where is the software problem, you you are not you are wasting your time.
0: Yeah. And all the patient is getting a side effects, <laughs> actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're and not
0: only getting, getting the side effects yeah. anything more so they will do nothing to reduce the pain and they'll just get a load of side effects
1: yeah and they will waste what I, what I feel really sorry for people who have nociplastic pain is that um even the doctors don't know much about nociplastic pain I am on a mission to teach doctors and nurses and physiotherapists and whoever is a healthcare professional about nociplastic pain because they don't know They want to help the patients so they because they don't know what is nociplastic pain and how to fix the pain system they keep trying the other things that are useful for nociceptive and neuropathic pain but i see the patients 20 years later 25 30 years later i spoke to a woman this week here in ontario 37 years 37 years on pain and now she got cured eliminated the pain completely because her pain was only purely nociplastic pain. And she was telling me for 37 years, doctors tried everything under the sun that they know as if her pain was nociceptive and then neuropathic. And she said, nothing worked. She said, nothing really worked because they were treating the wrong type of pain.
0: So um, how long after she saw you, did she suddenly have no pain?
1: Actually, she's not my patient. She's <laughs> I not wish.
0: Your I, okay. I wish well, I, was I had. Did she give you a big hug? <laughs> yeah. I,
1: yeah. She, I wish she was my patient. I just met her outside of my professional uh, thing. It was via social media that I met her, and then I, I I said I need to talk to you because she's here in Ontario, and I said I need to talk to you. I, I'm going to bring her. <laughs> she gave me permission. She will come when I I teach a lot of physicians and healthcare professionals here in Canada. And I told her, can I bring you to my lab, my classes? Can you come with me to teach these doctors what not to do? And she's very happy. She said, Andrea, right now, I I want to do everything to help other people so they don't need to waste 37 years of their lives.
0: Oh. Okay. Well, let, let's move on, if we can. So you, she's so just published a paper which is uh, looking at some of the problems where people have potentially been prescribed opioids incorrectly for whatever reason and they're having trouble um reducing or getting off them so two 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 things really um what why why do people have trouble getting off them i mean if they don't work how how come you can't just stop taking them and what in your paper how did you go about helping people reduce um the amount they take or even stop or even stop
1: Yeah, great questions. Um, So the first the first part of your question is really important. If they're not working, why would people continue taking opioids? And the explanation is is very interesting and complex. I'll try to simplify here. Um, So the person if you ask anyone who is taking opioids every day, And I do ask my patients, I have many patients who are taking opioids every day. If you ask them, what happens when you miss one day, uh, when you miss a dose, if you forget to take a dose, or if you travel and you forgot to bring your opioids, what happens? They will say that they feel horrible. They say, Dr. Furlan, I think I'm going to die. And I feel pain all over my body. And I feel headaches. And I feel agitation, I can't sleep, I, ha- I feel abdominal pain, I have diarrhea, I start sweating all over and then I take the pill and half an hour later, I am okay. <laughs> they are describing withdrawals of opioids. That's the classical. If you go on the textbook of medicine and you read what are the signs of withdrawal uh, symptoms, of opioids, they are describing all of this. Each substance, each substance that causes dependence has a different list of withdrawal symptoms. So people who drink alcohol every day, they are dependent on alcohol. If you ask them, if you miss, if you don't take alcohol one day, what do you feel? They will have a list of withdrawal symptoms that are different from opioids. So each substance, you have a different set of symptoms that is in the withdrawal list. People who take um, uh, cocaine, cocaine is an illicit drug. People who use cocaine every day, you ask them, what do you feel when you miss one day not taking cocaine? They would describe horrible symptoms, but they like they're very typical, very typical. Right. People who right. use cannabis every day. So there are a number of substances that cause, co- and these are substances that cause dependence in our body. So opioids cause dependence, alcohol causes dependence, cocaine cause dependence, benzodiazepines cause dependence, cannabis cause dependence. Um, and surprisingly, when I tell people that dependence is not the same thing as addiction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dependence is just a biological phenomenon that 100% of people who uses a substance that can cause, not, not every substance cause dependence, like chocolate <laughs> causes dependence, no. Choc- I, I'm, I'm dependent on chocolate, but I can go without chocolate and I will not have withdrawal symptoms, okay. Um, coffee, coffee causes dependence caffeine because it contains caffeine. So a person who misses caffeine, if they drink caffeine every day, on a very high dose of caffeine, the day that they don't take caffeine, guess what they will have withdrawal symptoms. And they are different The withdrawals from caffeine include they can't sleep. Mm-hmm. They are they are very sluggish and tired. And they can not think that's withdrawal on caffeine. Okay, so So dependence is very different from addiction. I will explain to you what is the difference in a few minutes. But the other thing that I also surprise people is, did you know that hormones like thyroid hormone can cause dependence? If a person takes thyroid hormones every day, their body becomes dependent on the thyroid hormones on the day that they don't take, they have withdrawals from the thyroid hormones. There are medications to lower the blood pressure like propranolol, if a person takes propranolol every day, they become dependent on propranolol, people become dependent on antidepressants, there are some antidepressants that cause some sort of dependence, but corticosteroids like steroids, if a person takes steroids every day, if a person takes um, medications for reflux, acid reflux, so all of these substances cause dependence. Now, nobody gets addicted to propranolol. (laughs) Nobody gets addicted to a gastric reflux medication. No gets. Nobody gets addicted to antidepressants. They get dependent, but not addicted. Addiction is a different disease. Addiction means the person now has a psychiatric disorder. It's a it's a diagnosis made by psychiatrists. Even when I suspect that my my patients are taking opioids and I suspect that they have addiction to opioids, I send them to a colleague who is an expert in addiction medicine to make the diagnosis because addiction is a serious diagnosis to make. Addiction means the person basically they lose control over the medication they're taking. They know it's causing bad consequences in their life. They keep using. So there's a difference between a person who is using alcohol someone who is drinking alcohol every day but they are dependent on the alcohol they're going to have withdrawals if they stop but they are working they are not losing control they know they have to take you know just just drink one glass of wine a day they don't drink more they still can go to work study they can socialize if they go to a party they're not going to drink 20 drinks now A person may develop addiction to alcohol, this is when they now lose control, they go to a party Mm -hmm. and they lose control, or they are now they they stop working because all they think is how am I going to drink alcohol how am I going to get more alcohol? So they start stealing or they start doing horrible things because all they need is their alcohol. So now they became from a dependent from alcohol to addicted
0: to alcohol. That's the same thing with opioids. The the numbers of people who are addicted to alcohol compared to the number that drink is is relatively low. Is it the
1: same with opioids? Yes, yes, yes. So absolutely, you're absolutely right. So again, a hundred percent of people who use opioid every day will become dependent and we know that it's about five to ten percent that will develop addiction so it's still a big number mike you say oh it's just five percent or ten percent but it's if it's one in ten or one in twenty given the enormous amount of people who take opioids every day especially in north america then you are creating a lot of a lot of
0: people yeah
1: that's
0: a lot of people okay. yeah. so, so if someone comes to you and they are dependent um, and, you know, they're getting – it's not helping them, they're getting all the kind of side effects, um, how can you help them yeah. without having all these horrible, you know, yeah. withdrawal effects? What What? Exactly. What and this doing? is
1: exactly – this is what we did in the study. So this study – now I'll talk to you about the study because it was beautifully – developed and um, it took us, our group, seven years to come up with the idea, develop the intervention, run the trial and analyze the trial. So I'll, I'll explain to you because this was so interesting. So, and this was done in the UK. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was invited by the group in the UK, University of Warwick, Dr. Harbinder Sandhu. She invited me to be a co-investigator because I have a lot of experience um, tapering opioids in Canada. I became expert here in Canada. People send patients to me who have, are taking opioids for pain every day. They develop this dependence, not addiction. I don't treat addiction. Uh, I only treat people who became dependent, physically Mm -hmm. dependent. And uh, so Dr. Sandu invited me to be a co-investigator of this trial. So what you need to do and what this trial did was um, they invited people who were taking opioids every day for pain. And we know they were developing dependence, physical dependence. They were not addicted to opioids because addiction requires a different treatment. Okay. So the intervention was basically first, first of all, first, 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 education, 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 education. If the person does not understand what's going on to their body, if they don't understand that it's possible, they will not do what we were asking them to do, because there will be hard days, there will be difficult days. And then the the second most important thing was they heard from other people that had been successful in stopping opioids. That was really important. So part of the education was delivered, was given by healthcare professionals, nurses who were trained, but also people with lived experiences of having chronic pain, using opioids, and stopping the opioids. So they heard from them. You know, so they learned from people with practical experience. So that was extremely important. And then nobody was forced to taper nobody told them you have to taper you must taper by this time no they were just given the information the information was done in group and then they also had one-on-one support with the nurse with the doctor their doctors received information about how to taper the opioid very slowly so that the other secret of the success is don't try to do very fast do a slow taper So then the body adapts to the lower doses of the opioids gradually. So they were, you know, uh, 10% every week, um, reducing the dose of the opioid. And, and so they, they did it. And in about, um, three months after they started this tapering opioid, uh, one third of the ones who were randomized to the intervention group, they had stopped taking all of their opioids completely okay.
0: and did and, they uh, remain that way
1: they remained that way for about a year we followed them for about a year yeah okay. and what's beautiful is that we also measured a lot of other things we measured their to see if the pain got worse didn't so the pain remained the same didn't get better didn't get worse but we were thinking if you take off the opioids from them maybe the pain will be worse it didn't actually, it got a little bit better. uh, After they reduce stopped the opioid, but also we had a control group, and the control group, they did not receive this uh, intensive evaluation, they only received a book and a CD to do relaxation at home, they also got better, the pain also got a little bit better. So when we compare the two groups, the intervention group and the control group, there was no difference. So that's what we are saying there was you know they got a little bit better but no difference between the two groups but everything else you know sleep and quality of life and enjoyment uh they we didn't make anything worse so at the end there was this one third of the group who stopped taking the opioid they said i don't know why i was taking this because my life is the same or a little bit better
0: and did and it we take also- an awful lot I mean, you described the intervention, you, you know, the education, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But um, the impression I get is it was a fairly light touch. Yeah. So, Well, it, it, it was it, it intensive.
1: Was... It was kind of, a, the intervention was kind of a, intensive because they did this, uh, there was a, a three-day long, so they had to attend this three-day long uh, group intervention. So the first day... They learn about what i just explained this Mm -hmm. here to you to your audience it was explained to them what are opioids the receptors in the body what do they do to the brain uh why are they used to treat pain Uh, what are the types of pain Uh, what are the symptoms of withdrawals and then they they discuss in group um so that was an intensive three day they had to come for three day intensive training and then after that there was this one-on-one um, sessions with a nurse, their doctors had to uh, do the tapering. So the group, the, the scientists, the, the researchers didn't change their medications, they just suggested to their GP or family doctor or whoever was prescribing the opioids. so that that uh, GP, the general practitioner received information about um, how to prescribe less and less and less. And they did. And they did. And the patients, if the patients um, did not want to continue tapering their opioids, they could stop. That's why we had two thirds of the group that did not stop taking opioids. But what was interesting, we also measured how many people reduce their dose 50 percent, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, even reducing the dose is a is a benefit. They don't need to be on a higher dose. What about being on 50 percent? and And this one, 57% of people who were randomized to the intervention reduced 50% of the dose compared to 27% in the control group, which means that 30% of people, like 57% to 27%, that's a 30% reduction of people, 30% of the group that reduced their dose by 50%. So that's a lot of people. Just yeah, with right. education, support, providing you know uh, methods for their physician to lower the opioid dose.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a a, a very successful um, trial, and like it, it should be yeah. opened up for, for more people. Now, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so the work from this study um, really is good news and should feel people that are, are, are worried that they might be dependent on opioids, kind of full of hope. So if if someone's listening to this and they're worried that they may well be dependent on opioids, what, you, what would you suggest as their next course of action?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think it is worthwhile trying a taper of this opioid, because if they don't try a slow taper a well-done taper they will never know they may be taking this opioid for another 5 10 15 20 years and they will always be afraid of tapering stopping because of the withdrawals but i think it is worth and the first step would be talk to the person who is prescribing your opioids Um, book a longer appointment don't try to do this in five minutes And explain to your doctor or nurse practitioner whoever is prescribing this opioid say even you can bring the print the trial and say you know they did this in a slow fashion i don't want to go on withdrawals i want to try this very slowly there are other ways sometimes we switch from one opioid to another one and it's easier to taper on the another opioid Like I have patients that they were on a fentanyl patch for years, 15, 20 years, and it's so hard to taper on the fentanyl patch. So what I do is I switch them to morphine or oxycodone or hydromorphone by mouth, and then we taper on the tablets. Um, There are other opioids like buprenorphine that are easier to taper. So doctors should know uh, about um, how to taper slowly without putting a person on a hard situation, understanding that withdrawals are really horrible. The person thinks that they're going to die and we don't need to add this suffering to their life already on chronic pain and help them to handle their chronic pain, to manage their chronic pain with other things. I I had patients that they were able to taper opioids because they started um, meditating, they started exercising more, they ex- started talking about, you know, managing their sleep, eating better. So at the same time that you are tapering, try to make those lifestyle changes. I talk about all of this in my book, the eight steps to conquer chronic pain, which is basically all of these lifestyle modifications that are work so, so well for people with chronic pain. Okay.
0: Mention the name of your book one more time in case people miss that. The eight steps to conquer chronic pain. Okay. But, um... Andrea, thank you very much indeed for chatting. I think this is potentially really important okay, and could help a lot of people. So many thanks.
1: I hope so. I hope this uh, interview will be listened uh, with an open mind. Don't think that I'm against opioids. I'm not. I use opioids to a lot of people with pain, chronic pain. But when they are not necessary, uh, let's talk about reducing the dose in improving the quality of life that you have, because I don't want to make your pain worse. My intent is your pain can get better even without opioids. In many cases, I've seen this over and over and over, over my 30 years of experience as a pain doctor.
0: Thank you very much to my guest on this week's show, Dr. Andrea Furlan. Thank you for listening and have a healthy week until next week. Thanks for listening to the Relax Back UK show. Join me, Mike Dilk, again next week for more fascinating interviews and chat. If you're listening to the podcast version, please subscribe, like and share it with your family and friends. And have a healthy week. Until next week.